This weekend made very clear that a former police officer's acquittal in a first-degree murder case touched a deep nerve within St. Louis. They're going, we've marched in the streets, we've had a civil rights movement, we've elected a black president, we've had a women's suffrage movement, we've had all these rights movements, and then these things still happen. Judge Timothy Wilson's decision to acquit Jason Stockley of the first-degree murder of Anthony Lamar Smith triggered waves of protests throughout St. Louis. The vast majority of demonstrators were peaceful, but some people broke windows in the region's business districts and scores of people were arrested on Sunday night. The verdict is putting the spotlight on Missouri Governor Eric Greitens, who harshly criticized the political response to Ferguson during his successful campaign. He's trying to deliver a two-pronged message. Protesting Stockley's acquittal is okay. Smashing windows and assaulting police officers is not. We need to find ways to bridge the gap, bring law enforcement officers and clergy together, and I'm really proud of, of the work that we've done thus far, and we're going to continue that work. Still, some elected officials are calling Greitens and St. Louis Mayor Lida Krusen's leadership into question. More than anything, people like State Representative Bruce Franks feel it's unrealistic for people to feel at peace with the judge's decision. There's a difference between being peaceful and being nonviolent. But just to let you know, there will not be any peace. Because one thing that has to be understood, and that will be understood, is y'all gonna stop killing us. On this edition of the Politically Speaking podcast, Joe Manis and I examined the response to Stockley's acquittal. We also talked with Republican Representative Rob Biscobo about his perceptions of the unrest and what his GOP colleagues plan to do about it next year. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking Podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Reitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors, and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Colleague Joe Manis. And before we get to our guest, State Representative Rob Viscovo of Jefferson County, Joe and I wanted to talk a little bit about the aftermath of the verdict of Jason Stockley. And I'm, I'm not only wanting to talk about this because it's in the news right now, but because um, a place that is home for me and has been home for my family for, for many years, if not decades, is now under the national microscope, and that is St. Louis. And for people that don't know, um, Jason Stockley is a former St. Louis police officer who was um, tried for first-degree murder of an African-American man named Anthony Lamar Smith. This happened in 2011, um, the actual police-involved shooting. And uh, last Friday, a judge ruled that he was not guilty of first-degree murder, which set off a wave of protests throughout St. Louis. Um, there were some instances where windows were smashed. Dozens of people have been arrested. And I think most importantly um, for St. Louis, the image of the city is taking a big hit. Joe, you've lived in the St. Louis area longer than I've been alive. That's I, true. I, I'm just curious what your thoughts are about this entire situation. Well, without getting into um, the judge's verdict or why the judge uh, did what he did, one can read it, um, there's two things. First, the, 
the city of St. Louis in, 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 in particular really took a hit, not just because of the protests, but because of the cancellations of some high-profile events, especially the U2 concert, mm-hmm. which um, I think actually helped gravitate some national attention, not good national attention, on the city. Um, because basically when you have outside, I mean, major events like that canceled, the uh, image is that the St. Louis is not safe. I do want to play my feature that aired earlier today on Monday, September 18th. It's about how Missouri Governor Eric Greitens and St. Louis Mayor Lida Krusen are handling the protests. Here it is right now. It's Saturday afternoon, and Governor Eric Greitens is getting coffee in the Central West End, where the night before, some businesses' windows were broken during protests. The fact is, violence and vandalism is not protest. Violence and vandalism is a crime. And we told people, if you throw bricks, if you throw bottles, we're going to throw you in jail. Greitens is trying to separate himself from how Democratic Governor Jay Nixon handled protests in 2014 over Michael Brown's shooting death in Ferguson. For instance, Greitens is establishing a clear chain of command by putting the St. Louis police in charge, with St. Louis County, the Highway Patrol, and the National Guard ready to assist. That's a change from the protests that followed Brown's death when multiple law enforcement agencies were in charge. He's also held a news conference with Anthony Lamar Smith's fiance, Christina Wilson, and met with religious leaders. We need to find ways to bridge the gap, bring law enforcement officers and clergy together, and I'm really proud of of the work that we've done thus far, and we're going to continue that work. Because Brown was killed in St. Louis County, then St. Louis Mayor Francis Slay played a somewhat supporting role to Nixon and the St. Louis County Executive. That's not the case for Krusen, who's in charge of speaking up for her city and is heavily involved in how police respond to protests. Unlike Greitens, Krusen has been an elected official in St. Louis for nearly two decades. She says she's aware of the racial and economic divides. The issues being protested are real impediments to the success of our city. It's perhaps too early to tell if Greitens and Krusen's words are having an effect. The vast majority of protesters have refrained from violence or vandalism, but people did break windows and throw objects at police officers throughout the weekend, leading to dozens of arrests. Supporters of the protest movement, like Felicia Steyer, say both Greitens and Krusen set unrealistic expectations that people would respond peacefully to the acquittal of Stockley, a white former police officer who killed a black man. I think governmental officials underestimated the level of outrage that people are having around the verdicts. It's just so heavy, um, and I think it's really hard to understand that if you haven't been affected. State Representatives Michael Butler and Bruce Franks have criticized Greitens for not meeting with younger activists who are organizing the protests. St. Louis Sheriff Vernon Betts says talking with young people, like how he did before Friday's verdict, is better than meeting them with riot shields or pepper spray. They are a less patient group than we are, and so we need to spend more time sitting, listening to them and trying to understand their, their desires. And, 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 and trying to work things out. St. Louis Treasurer Tashara Jones barely lost to Krusen in this year's mayoral election. She says she hopes the Stockley verdict compels elected leaders to re-examine the criminal justice system. State and local politicians pass relatively few laws in response to Ferguson. There are tons of cities that are improving their criminal justice system um, that stop arresting people for being black or poor or sick or on drugs. If we don't take this moment again, here we are again three years later, 
um, and make some significant changes, we're going to continue to see this happen over and over and over again. It'll be up to Greitens and Cruson to decide if they'll take a similar public policy course. So, Joe, I want to talk about two things before we get to our guests. The first is how Governor Eric Greitens has handled the protests and how St. Louis Mayor Lyda Cruson has handled the protests. It's two kind of separate situations, but yes. they're both kind of linked because they're both handling the same thing. I want to start with Greitens in particular because during his successful gubernatorial campaign, he was extremely critical of Democratic Governor Jay Nixon and to some extent Attorney General Chris Coster for how they responded to Ferguson. You also have to, in a very concrete way, give people an outlet for their anger and their fear. And what I would have said, Jason, I said, look, first we're going to put on a dusk to dawn curfew. We're going to create a situation of security and stability. There's a dusk to dawn curfew and When the sun goes down, and I'll tell you, I was on the street as the sun went down, and you could see mothers and kids leaving the crowd and drunk guys walking in. What I would have said is when the sun goes down, I am going to be in this church, and I'm going to be there with the mayor. I'm going to be there with the chief of police. I'm going to be there with any church leaders who are willing to join me, and I will stay there until the sun comes up, and I am willing to listen to and to hear from anyone who's hurting who's on the front lines. That hasn't happened yet. I think putting a curfew in the city of St. Louis would be extremely difficult given how big the city is. But with all that as a backdrop, and given that we are two or three days into this, what are you hearing from people about how the governor has handled this entire situation? Well, and, and, and I want to emphasize, this is not, we're not talking about the specific event, but his reaction to it. Yes. Okay. He has a military background, and I think that is showing very much in how he is responding to the police how he's dealing with the highway patrol, how he's looking at the situation. Now, so far, as you mentioned, um, he has not fulfilled some of his comments that he made when, when he was a candidate, and, but that was a year and a half ago, and things can change once you're governor and you're looking at things on the ground. So while some of the um, activists may not be that keen on everything that the governor has been doing or what he's been saying, I think there's two things that are without dispute. One, he is extremely engaged and making sure that everybody sees that he's engaged. And B, this event, whether one likes it or not, it does highlight his background as a military man where he has been in situations where a lot of people feel that they're under siege. Unlike Jane Nixon... Governor Greitens has been in St. Louis before the verdict and after the verdict. After the Michael Brown situation, Jay Nixon did not come to the St. Louis area for a few days. I understand that the two situations were different. You know, Governor Greitens had a month to prepare to this, and the Michael Brown shooting was kind of an out-of-nowhere event. Yeah, and it happened on a Saturday. And it happened on a Saturday, but it it should be noted that that is a a legitimate difference between the two. Um, But I have heard from some elected officials, as I mentioned in the feature, that all this emphasis on peacefulness and making sure the protests are peaceful kind of missed the point, that the point of protest is not necessarily to follow certain guidelines or rigid mores, so to speak, but it's also to express anger and actually disrupt everyday life. I want to make it clear that many of the elected officials that I've talked to have repeatedly emphasized that they do not support vandalism or violence, and that's not what they're trying to do. But they are trying to disrupt the the ordinary flow of life in St. Louis, 
And they don't think that Governor Greitens really gets that. What, what do you think about that, Joe? Well, that may be true. But I think you have to look at it from Greitens' perspective. And I'm not justifying it. I'm just looking at, through that lens. Um, he's looking at what the, and, and to some degree the mayor is too, about the national image that's being created by all this. And also the longer term impact uh, with ig- ig- ignoring the issue that ignited the, the protests. It's a fact. There has been a strong economic impact. Uh, it's, it's hurt a lot of businesses. It could mean that some people lose their jobs, at least temporarily. And in many cases, these may be people who are also some people who are, I mean, they're middle class or lower class, they're minimum wage jobs that are being most affected by the protests and by the issue of the protests. So my point being that it becomes very complicated while you, as part of a protests, you're trying to disrupt disrupt things. It also means that some of the people you're trying to help may also be some of the people who get hurt by this. I want to talk about Lida Krusen, too. Now, I don't want to say that Lida Krusen ran for mayor saying that I'm going to handle a Ferguson-like event better, but she did run for mayor saying that we are going to keep St. Louis neighborhoods safe, or at least make them more safe than they actually are. I even asked her at one of her press conferences, does that make um, that campaign pledge even more important about how she handles this, this is what she had to say. My desire to increase public safety in St. Louis is uh, increased, if anything, by this moment. And I think that, you know, we have the opportunity to do that. So what do you think is at stake for Mayor Cruz in here? This was a, a situation, the, the Anthony Lamar Smith shooting, where she wasn't mayor at the time, but she has to bear a lot of the consequences. And a lot of attention is on her leadership right now. Yeah, I think one thing um, that will be important for her is it's not just communication, which she's been putting out like Facebook videos and other things. She sometimes with the chief to say, okay, here's what happened today. But she also has to demonstrate. And again, I'm she has to demonstrate that she is a strong leader. And sometimes for and I'll be candid, sometimes for women in major offices, we they have a fine line. Um, they want to project strength, but they don't want to come across as something else or not um, showing that they're thoughtful about things. So she's she's trying to, I think, show that she's strong, but that also she can listen and that also that she's understanding of what some of the issues are. And that can be really complicated. I mean, it's complicated for anybody who's mayor, but especially when you're new. Even though she's been around St. Louis politics for decades, it still means that she, cause, because if she looks like she's not keeping control of the situation, it can affect her effectiveness on other issues. So we're going to dive right into our interview this week. It's with State Representative Rob Viscovo. He is a Republican from Jefferson County. We're going to get to the rest of his interview later in the show, but we did talk with him about his reaction to the Stockley verdict, and we're going to hear his thoughts about that right now. The three of us sitting in this room, um, we don't know what the judge saw. We, we have no idea what evidence he saw. We weren't privy to any of that information. I don't believe any of the public was privy to that information. Um, I'm not going to contradict what the, what the judge's decision was. Um, but I will tell you what, what a, a lot of people feel. Um, you know, 
pro- protesting, that's great. I, you know, I, I believe in that. But when it gets violent, uh, when it turns the way it has, when we go down the lane of property damage, and if you'll look at one of the tweets I put over the weekend, which was, um, you know, along the lines of, you know, bringing violence or bringing property damage only taints our att- attention to your cause. Yeah, and just, just to make sure we're ultra-specific, to those who wish to riot, our officer LEOs have families, too. If you raise violence, it will only tarnish our attention to your cause. Continue. And, and, and I truly believe that. Uh, I'm going to pay more attention to your issue when you come and talk to me about your issue, when you protest your issue to me, when, you know, it's like in the Capitol. Listen, do you know how many people I heard from about right to work? Everyone is welcome in my in my office, Democrats, Republicans, independents. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. I talk to everyone of my constituents or people that even aren't my constituents. Mm-hmm. I will listen to your cause and understand your cause more if you're speaking to me about your cause rather than spitting in my face or tearing my room up or or throwing things aside. I, I do want to just point out because and I haven't been in the streets that much. I will say the majority of protesters have been peaceful. There have been people that have broken windows sure. and, and thrown things at police officers. I mentioned that in my story today. Um, I do want to ask, though. Do you think that there that Republicans can separate the people that are being disruptive and from the people that are being violent and breaking the law? Because I, I I've heard people say, like, you shouldn't conflate the two because they're basically two separate groups of people. What, what's your thought on that? Well, how do you separate them? How do you figure out who's left from the march and who's left for the window breaking. We, we can't separate that. All I know is uh, I'm watching from home, just so you know, uh, working with my family, working in the yard. Yesterday we took, you know, we cleaned our garage. It was awful. But, um, you know, then we go and we sit down on the couch, my wife and I, last night on Facebook, and we had, you know, probably uh, 10 friends of ours, who their wives are commenting about how their husbands are going through these issues downtown. And that goes back to what I said. You know, we have families also. Um, The things that, you know, you're going through on your side, it's it's an understanding, right? None of us ever know what we're going through, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know what I've gone through, what personal experience or life experience I've gone through. Um, But at the end of the day, how you handle yourself uh, is going to determine how much I understand. I'm going to play an audio clip now from Neil Bruntrager, who's the attorney for Jason Stockley. And he brought up a point. It's a little bit lengthy of a clip. It's about a minute that I actually think is pretty instructive about the legislative response that I'll ask our guest about when it's over. Under the facts of this case, there there really could not have been a lesser offense. It was either murder in the first degree or it was nothing. And, and of course, that's what Judge Wilson made the determination of here. Um, You have to also understand that in this instance, even though the allegation was was murder in the first degree, we successfully injected the issue of self-defense. And self-defense in regard to a police officer is something that is determined not by state law, but determined by the the Supreme Court of the United States. And and, uh, basically they lay out exactly what must happen. And it imposes upon the state a very difficult burden. And the state must then prove not only that you committed murder in the first degree, but that you didn't act in self-defense. In a way, it sort of makes them prove a negative. And that's a very, very tough burden to meet. 
Again, that's not something that's established uh, by state law. That's established by the Supreme Court of the United States. And Judge Wilson applied that here. He said they didn't, they didn't meet that burden. They didn't prove that he didn't act in self-defense. Therefore, he acted in self-defense. And if you acted in self-defense, that would eradicate or eliminate any need to, to consider any of the lesser-included offenses. I understand that you're not an attorney, but you would have a, you, you are voting on every bill like everybody else. I played that clip because I think that there have been calls to re-examine self-defense uh, regulations that police officers can use. With that backdrop in mind that a lot of this is governed by federal court precedent and not state law, would you say it's going to be a difficult battle for, for Democrats to achieve any changes to that, that sphere of influence? Well, here, here's what I'm going to say, and, and I may stray off of where you want me to go. Sure, that's okay. Uh, but I want to point out that I, I take no position in this case. I have, I have, I, I don't know. All I know is what the judge has said. And, and I have not even read whatever his uh, judgment is. I, right. I, I take no side on, on either issue. Now, what you just played said it's more of a federal issue from the S- Supreme Court and not the state level. Well, my first thought, if to be fair, is maybe these protesters should be reaching out to Lacey Clay or or someone that represents parts of of what they want to see changed, right? Uh, at the federal level, not not the state level. Maybe that's where they need to take their issue. I, but again, I, I take no side in this issue. I I have not read the the the, the verdict, and and I know nothing about this issue other than what you see or I see on the news. That I'm I'm glad that you pointed that out. So do you with with your views in mind? Do you see where the General Assembly, at least the Republican majority, which frankly are huge in both chambers? Uh, the Republicans call the shots, um, where your fellow Republicans and Republican leadership would tend to take a similar view that, hey, you know, A, this is based on some federal laws, and B, um, this is more complicated than it appears, and C, we're not going to do anything that signals that we support any any form of property damage. I'm, I'm just laying that out there. I'm not taking sides. Sure. So, uh, uh, again, I am not in leadership. I'm not sure of leadership's position. Um, I know that we have heard some things in the past. Some things have come uh, through committee. Um, you know, I sat on civil and criminal proceedings for my first two years, and, and I'll tell you, we, we did hear some things. So it's not as if we aren't taking action on them. Um, lots of bills die. Republican bills die. I, I had bills die this year. It's, it's actually quite hard to get things through both chambers and onto the governor's desk. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your your personal and professional background, and how you got involved in the wacky world of, of, of Missouri politics. So um, I met my wife. We bought a house. We lived in the city for a couple of years. Um, now, where are you from? Uh, I grew up in Manchester, Chesterfield area, the okay. mean streets of Chesterfield. The mean streets of Chesterfield. Okay, so the magic question. Sure. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, so I went to Fern Ridge. I attended Parkway West for a little bit, and then I went to Fern Ridge, which is a Parkway school district. Okay. Um, all right, continue. Um, so we didn't have a big enough house in the city, and uh, we looked for some property, and we looked towards Jefferson County. Uh, a lot of our friends went to St. Charles, but 
I found what I liked in Jefferson County. So we uh, bought a couple acres out there, and um, we built a home. I built a home, and uh, that's where we ended up. What What made you choose Jeffco over St. Charles? I'm curious about that. I, I had met many people uh, from Jefferson County over the years, and the attitude, uh, I, I enjoyed the attitude, the candor with people, the you stay out of my business, I'll stay out of yours. Uh, just let me live my life, and you live your life. And I, I like that attitude. Um, I did enjoy the scenery, as you could drive down uh, New 21 or um, New M. It, it truly is beautiful, and and you know that's that's how we ended up picking it. Yeah, New 21 has made a big difference. Absolutely. Just, just so folks understand, that really was the um, result of. I mean, you can say things good or bad about Dick Gebhardt when he was the congressman, but the the new 21 he made that possible sure some of our some of our roads used to be called blood alley yes and that will. part was yes he changed that whole that that whole area if you looked at it let's say 20 years ago totally That's right. different no that'd be good so you first uh, you first ran for office in 2014 or did you run before then actually i i've i've run for office many times. Oh. I, I ran for Jeff, Jefferson County Council in 2010. Okay. Uh, my wife had a very difficult um, difficult childbirth uh, months leading up to that, so I didn't get to campaign, and, and I did lose eventually in the primary. Um, I ran for Jefferson County Assessor. Um, I lost in a primary. So, you know, when I ran for uh, state representative, I was uh, oh, for two, and and you know I thought it was the right decision to to take that step as well. And spoiler alert, you ended up winning that primary, but not by very much. I think you won by nine votes, eight votes, eight votes, even even smaller than I imagined. Um, and I guess in this instance, the Republican primary was the election. Although I have to say, Jefferson County is historically Democratic, but I think that your district might be slightly more Republican than some of the historically Democratic ones. Is that fair to say? Uh, I would agree with that, but I wouldn't just say Republican. I would say independent. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're looking for a candidate that fits fits the district, fits fits them. Um, so, yeah, it was a tough primary. We we battled quite hard. And, and I admittedly had no name recognition, mm-hmm. none at all. I was definitely the third candidate. And one of the interesting things about your campaign that I've heard from other people is while some other Republican candidates from Jefferson County campaigned, at, you know, against right to work or, or for labor issues. I think that w- during your campaign, you told potential voters that you were for a right to work and that you were in favor of some laws that may seem detrimental to labor unions. First of all, is that true? And if so, why did you decide to, to take that tech? besides the fact that you believe in those issues. So it is true. Uh, for me, honesty is the best policy, right? Uh, I wanted to be able to look voters in the face and tell them um, that that was what I was going to do, that I was in favor of that law. Um, and, and just to add note to that, that conversation at the door, I, my, first, my first campaign, uh, including the primary, I knocked 16,000 doors. Um, we did have that conversation quite a bit, but it always came back to, you know, listen, Rob Vescovo, I, I am pro-worker. I always have been pro-worker. I'm, I'm pro-labor. But one thing I definitely am not, I am not pro-leadership of these unions. Um, I see things differently than, and, and I believe the voters in my district see the things that have been done to them as well. Now, just a little backdrop here. Um, Jefferson County, like St. Charles County, has a number of people who are in labor unions or are retired labor unions. That's why this is even an issue. So Correct. Proceed. Correct. 
So you ended up winning that general election um, in 2014. 20, had, 20 points. 20 points. And then in 2016, I think that you were targeted by the Democratic powers that be. And how I've much al- did you win? I've, by? Always, I've always been targeted. How much <laughs> How much did you win re-election by, by the way? 20 points. 20 points. So it seems like you voting for right to work and 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 being not in lockstep with labor leadership, as you mentioned, wasn't detrimental to your political prospects so far. Why do you think that is? Because it would seem that doing that in Jefferson County may seem counterintuitive, but is it a situation where voters just appreciate your honesty and your openness about it and they don't have to guess what you're going to do, essentially? Well, I do think it's multiple things. I mean, what voter doesn't appreciate the honesty at the door? Uh, We may disagree on 80% 80% of the issues, but we are disagree on 20% of the issues, but we do agree on the other 80% of the issues. Um, one thing in my reelection, and one thing I've always done, you know, when someone calls me, I, I return from the Capitol, I return all my own emails. When you get an email back from me, that's me. I return all my phone calls. When you get a phone call, that's me on the other line. Uh, one thing that people understand about me and my district is I am a working class guy. My wife and I, we drive two cars that have over 200,000 miles on them. You just saw me pull up in my 2001 Lincoln Navigator. It has, you know, two over 250,000 miles on it. I did see this, by the way. We live paycheck to paycheck, just like a majority of the people that live in my district. Um, when I hear of something going wrong or someone upset with a position I've taken, I call them and tell them why I've taken that position. Um, back to right to work. You know, uh, the Teamster sent out mailers in my district in my first term that said, you know, uh, our pension's going to fail and Rob Vescovo's part of it because he voted for right to work. Well, right to work last year uh, was vetoed by the governor, which, by the way, the Republicans tried to put it on the ballot. Um, but it was vetoed by the governor. Uh, those letters still went out. And Look at the pensions that have failed. Look at the Teamsters pension. It's $17-plus billion underfunded, and I had nothing to do with that. You know what I did? I went and sat in those retired Teamsters' kitchen tables, in their in their homes, in their garages, on their driveways, and said, listen, I had nothing to do with your pension. I had Teamster members that had been, you know, maybe 15, 20 years until they get to retire out of their pension that have begged me to vote for right to work. Listen, I love my union, but I can't imagine paying another 15 years into this pension fund and I'll never see anything out of it. That that was a strong position for me to take. And, and I will take that all the time. Now, what do you see shifting gears a little bit? What do you see as the key issues in your district? I mean, aside from the one we just discussed. Um, especially now we've got, what, several months before the General Assembly goes back into session. What are you hearing? Um, I will tell you that uh, my district, we're very pro-life. We are pro-Second Amendment. Um, Typically, even our independents and our Democrats, we just want to be left alone. We don't want the government at every corner to tell us what's good, what's bad for us. We don't want the government to uh, decide or tell us how we're going to put food on the table for our families. Um, we want less red tape. We we want those jobs that, you know, we continually talk about or hear about. Uh, we do want to remove those impediments. We, we truly do want to see uh, the government get out of the way so that we can grow our families and grow our homes and and our assets the way we we see fit. Now, some would say, uh, just plain devil's advocate here, that, I mean, having less government regulations on, uh, on a number of issues, that that somehow is then, how does that fit in with the um, effort to uh, curb um, access to reproductive rights? I mean, how does that 
You how, call, do, how do those folks you call do them things? access to reproductive rights? I call it abortion. Well, I'm just being. <laughs> I, I am not advocating one or the other. I'm just trying to use non uh, volatile language. But sure. Go and, ahead. And and I would tell you that uh, my district and and I believe my county fully support the positions I've taken on on reducing abortion. Um, we want to see abortion gone, and and that's no doubt about Jefferson County. And, I mean, would you press for some sort of constitu- state constitutional amendment, or kind of how do you see things playing out in the next well, session or two? I, I don't have the answers to that. I, I am not in leadership, but I, I have a different view on it, and I don't know if you know this. I'm adopted, um, so so I, I take it on a little bit more of a personal level. Um, you know, you, you see this quote from Ronald Reagan on billboards all the time now. You know, everybody that everybody against abortion's already been born. You know, I, I, I'm going to tell you I, I take that same position. I want to ask you this. I know you're a Republican, but there is this kind of internal battle going on within the Missouri Democratic Party about whether they should fund candidates and support candidates who are opposed to abortion rights. Um, I, I know that you're not going to give Democrats advice on how, what they should do, but I am curious as somebody who feels very strongly on this issue, do you think that the Democrats will have trouble gaining ground in the General Assembly if they have a hard and fast litmus test on this issue? I, I don't have the answer, and I'm not going to tell them how to, to run their campaigns. I was really trying to get you to tell them how to run their <laughs> campaigns. But it does seem like, you know, the reason I asked that question is I think the reason why Democrats were able to win often in Jefferson County is they took socially conservative positions on gun control and abortion. I, I, I've talked to many uh, Democratic state reps from Jeffco over the years. Ron Casey is an example who is very much opposed to abortion rights and voted with Republicans on major bills. So it seems like once those types of legislators either termed out of office or were defeated, they're replaced by Republicans who kind of feel the same way. And I guess maybe this is a question you can answer. Do you think that that maybe happened in Jefferson County because voters kind of see Democrats, regardless of their views on this issue, as too corresponding with the National Party, who obviously have a, a pretty hard and fast list? So not, test? not just the National Party, but at a state level. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the sediment in Jefferson County is that um, Democrats tell one thing at the door and then go to Jefferson City and vote a completely different way. Uh, People from Jefferson County are—they're—they're they're very smart. Um, They—they do pay attention. Um, they know when they're being lied to. They know when they're told one thing, and they—and they hear something completely different. They do know how to go onto these websites and look up votes that are taken. As we talked about at the beginning of the show, the legislature passed Right to Work, which, by the way, we haven't done this yet, but we always want to make sure we describe what Right to Work is. It is shorthand to describe a policy. That would no that would ban unions and employers from requiring workers to pay dues as a condition of employment. It passed. It is not currently in law because it's going up for a referendum next year, most likely. Um, but there were other things passed this year, including a, a a I think a curtailment of project labor agreements, which you handled personally. Correct. Before we talk a little bit about what's going to happen next year, explain what that is and and why you think it's important. Uh, your bill that you you ended up handling. So. That was one of the first bills I filed when I came into the legislature um, was uh, project labor agreements, banning the use of project, project labor agreements across the state. Um, I think that project labor agreements are unfair. 
Um, I think that uh, we needed to do away, of, away with them. We've got uh, contractors that are taxpayers that live in uh, specific areas where these jobs may be going on, and they're not allowed to bid on these projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they do bid on these projects or want to bid on these projects, they have to become signatory for the length of that contract. Um, for me, I think that's some form of extortion. Um, I think that all taxpayers should be able to bid on jobs that are funded by the taxpayers. Now, one uh, one of the um, contentions as far as on the other side, as far as project labor agreements, was that A, it set certain standards, B, it barred any sort of uh, uh, union company um, disputes. And there are some of the advocates who say, well, what's going to happen is, is that the it's going to be out of state non-union firms who come in and bid on the business, and that it will be they'll be undercutting um, non-union local firms. Do you think that the legislature needs to put in language to make sure that it's um, Missouri companies that? bid on these contracts first or do you think it just it should be free market i think it number one it should be free market number two um i think that's all talking points from any side you look at it uh the talking points are, are ridiculous um these union companies can still bid on these projects we did nothing to take away their ability to still bid on these projects and you know what there's so much favoritism they probably still will win these projects but all I'm doing is stripping away the the fact that they can't be the only ones to bid on these projects, that you have to let uh, merit shop contractors bid on these projects. And it's imperative to have um, competition. Um, PLAs put that wall up to where they didn't have competition, and now they will. And I think that when you talk about the public's money, uh, everyone should be able to fight for the public's money. Looking forward a little bit, with the referendum kind of hanging over legislators' heads, do you think the fact that right to work is is going to be put up for a vote may actually compel Republican lawmakers to pass more bills that didn't get passed this year, whether it deal with, you know, automatic deduction of union dues, whether it deal with prevailing wage? Could it actually backfire on labor unions because it may actually m- make it so more things are passed that they don't like? I know it's too early to say, but I have heard other people make the argument that that could happen next year. The battle for some of these things is going to continue. Um, Fairness and public construction was one of them, and we got it done this year. Um, I think you're going to still continue to see, you know, paycheck protection. You're still going to see an effort to to pass those issues um, because they're legitimate issues. Um, Is it going to backfire? Time will tell. Time will tell. So looking forward a little bit past this issue, um, you are running for House Majority Floor Leader. I am. Um, when, when is that election, by the way? Uh, so I don't know. I haven't gotten official word from Because the I think some of it, it, it depends on whether Mike Sirpoy wins his Senate race. If for some reason the Democrat upsets him, he would still be in the House and still be House Majority Leader. If he wins, and he, he is favored to win because that district leans Republican, I don't want to say he's automatically going to win. I'm just putting it out there. Um, It's possible that that leadership position might become open sooner than expected. So I guess I want to know why you're running for that position and what do you think you bring for the job? So my experience in the legislature has been uh, very thorough since I've been there. Um, I don't know if you, my first couple of years, I worked on project labor agreements. Uh, I worked on paid administrative leave, the abuse of paid administrative leave. 
I target good government bills. This year, I worked again on project labor agreements. Um, I worked on um, general obligation bonds and the way that uh, bonds are bid in the state. It used to be negotiated, and now uh, with the effort of myself and my colleagues and uh, my being able to explain to them the process we were uh, and reaching across the aisle, uh, we were able to get general obligation bonds and how they were bid across across the across the finish line. Um, I'm not working on things that are uh, trying to separate one party from the other. I truly reach across the aisle. Um, why am I running? I'm running because I want to lend my experience to other people. You know, if if you're to look at some of the seats that we talk about Jefferson County being a battleground, right? Nobody knows that is a battleground the way I know that's a battleground or the way that Dan Shaw knows that's a battleground or the way that uh, Becky Ruth knows that, that that's a battleground. Um, we fight hard to get in the legislature. Kevin Corlew fights hard to get into the legislature. He wants to be successful while he's there. We all want to be successful. Um, I've been able to champion my projects across the finish line with no help from lobbyists, no leadership giving me. I've never been given anything from leadership as far as bills are concerned. I've never been given anything from a lobbyist. Everything I work on is good government projects, things that I know I can get across the line, and I champion them through the House. Uh, my positions are explained on a daily basis, and I champion them through the Senate. Um, through re relationships that I've made, style that I've made. Um, you know, my father told me when I was younger, uh, my father, I used to watch him at 6 a.m. He would be on the phone. He was a home builder here in St. Louis, and he, would, he was always on the phone at 6 a.m. Rob, you can't like, let other people make your destiny. You have to make it for yourself. And so that's my style of, of politics in, in the building. I don't, uh, I don't particularly enjoy a lot of the riffraff. Um, I don't, uh, you're going to get a straight answer out of me, a yes or a no. I want to see the Becky Roos, the Kevin Corlews, the Chuck Bazies. I want our entire caucus, and, and quite frankly, people on the other side of the aisle as well. I want people to be successful. My experience that I have in the building, I want to be able to share that with them and say, listen, let me help you champion the things that you don't know how to champion. Let me help you. Um, the other thing that uh, I believe is, you know, we're, we're a building of different temperaments, talents, and convictions, right? If you want to talk about labor reform, you can talk to Rob Vescovo. If you want to talk to me about tort reform, don't talk to me about tort reform. I know enough to get myself in trouble. I rely on people like Kevin Corlew or Kevin Austin. I go and ask them questions. Hey, this is your area of expertise. Or Jay Barnes, tell me what's truth, what's fallacy, and then I bring those those uh, interpretations in and, and make my decision on what I think is best for my position. I should have asked you about tort reform just so I could get a... Get a Again, I'm, I know enough to get myself in trouble. Well, we want to thank you for coming on the show. Just for our listeners, you are running against Representative Kirk Matthews, who we had on the show last year. We, we're going to try to get him on before the leadership happens, just for fairness. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And you can follow the representative on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web on... At Rob Vescovo. How do you spell your last name, by the way? V as in Victor, E-S-C-O, another V-O. It's important to make sure people know how to spell it. Until next time, so long. Thank you. Doesn't forget the thousand years before it slipped It's the beast that's 
my heart, it's so brave.